0: It's the finest five-minute program exploring creativity on this station at this moment. It's here. It's now. It's Craft. I'm your host, Tyler Clementi. Marisa De Los Santos is the author of three New York Times best-selling novels, Love Walked In, Belong to Me, and Falling Together. She visits Columbus's Thurber House on Wednesday, April 1st, for a reading and discussion of her newest work, 2015's The Precious One. Marisa De Los Santos, welcome to Craft. Oh, thanks for having me, Tyler. I'm happy to be here. Your fourth novel, The Precious One, is about to release, and it tells the story of two estranged half-sisters. Tell us about those characters. Willow,
1: the younger sister, is the child of her father's second marriage, and the older sister, Taisy, uh, has been more or less estranged her, from her father um, since their family uh kind of exploded back when she was a teenager, Mm -hmm. and she and her mother and brother moved to North Carolina. At the book's opening, her father has had a heart attack, undergone surgery, and very unexpectedly calls Taisy and asks her to come for an extended stay at his home. And while she questions his motives, she's always needed his love. She's always wanted it. So she goes. And so for the first time, these two sisters are in each other's lives. They're threatened by each other. They're interested in each other. They start off sort of extremely alienated from each other. And it's kind of the story of, at the core, I think it's the story of their relationship.
0: So the heart of the story is the relationship. And in reading this book, I've picked up on something you get a lot of praise for in your work, which is the sort of lyrical quality of of your writing. Can you tell us about your history with poetry?
1: Yes. Um, well, I I really started out as a poet. I went to um, I started writing poetry as an undergraduate. I think on some level I'd always written poetry, but most of it's thankfully gone from the face of the earth. But um, I started really being serious about it in my last year of college, and then very quickly at the recommendation of a, of a teacher, applied to grad school. I went first to Sarah Lawrence, and then to the University of Houston and studied with a lot of incredible poet teachers at both places. Um, And that's what I did. My first published book was actually uh, called From the Bones Out and is from the University of South Carolina Press and is a collection of poems. And um, I think, you know, I've always, I became a poet because I love the texture of words. I kind of love the tactile quality, the the way they, um, the noise they make when they bump up against each other, and and everything, all of that is is the musicality of language is obviously foregrounded in poetry, um, and and is not the only point of poetry, but certainly a major point. And so that's why I loved it. Um, but as a reader, I think I have always been um, in love with novels and love that kind of thing where you plunge full body into a, a story and, and spend your time with characters. Um, so when I had a story in my head, the happy surprise was that I could still play with language and I could spend my days in the company of characters, not just words. Um, and And it turned out that this is really, this is what I feel most at home in, is writing novels. Um, but I and I still get to sort of scratch that lyrical itch, um, not not in every single sentence, which would be just awful, but in in moments, in mo- intense moments, I, I think you can you can I think it intense moments often require a kind of um, really tight music. So that's what um, that's that's been a, a pleasure.
0: Right, so you get the the best of both worlds. Then you get to scratch the lyrical itch while also tending to all the things that fiction and novels. Yeah, you know,
1: I've always, I was always a little bit um, frustrated, just personally as a poet, by the small space that I had to move around in, and it's incredibly intense to write a poem. As as anyone who's tried to write one knows, Mm -hmm. every single word, and you can obsess over moving commas around in two lines for days. And, you know, right. that always felt a little closed in to me. And so when I started to write novels, I just felt suddenly like I had this big space. Um, and the big space suited me. Um, if the language isn't coming, you can think about character. If the story isn't coming, you can go back and tinker with a, with a particularly important paragraph. I mean, there's a lot. Um, there's just, there's just, uh, a kind of amplitude in writing fiction for me um, that I think was missing in poetry, or that didn't quite suit my temperament as well.
0: So I think you have a very interesting style, but you're on your fourth novel now, and I'm wondering: do you feel like your style has changed yeah, over time? I
1: do. Um, you know, when I when I wrote Love Walked In, I had never really taken, um, as an adult, taken a a, a fiction writing course. I know, I, I, or a workshop. I didn't really know any of the rules. Mm-hmm. I still don't really know the <laughs> rules. But I, I mean, I, I don't read all, I haven't read all those books on narrative that all fiction writers have read, and I, I never wrote a short story really in my adult life. So, I, I didn't, I just played. I mean, I sort of went in, I was committed to it. I mean, I, I, I took it very seriously, but I also, I think, indulge in the lyricism we were talking about before, where um, I, I wanted every sentence to be this kind of polished gem. And while I still love that first book, what I think I've learned is that you need to use that sparingly. Like a, a light touch is better. It actually um, serves your story. And I think some of what I was doing in the first book might have been serving my own just love of of messing around with mm-hmm. words. And what I realized is that sometimes it can be a distraction, and that you want to just—you always, always—your first obligation is to your characters and their story. And so the, I, I think, as the books go on, I think this fourth book um, has maybe fewer kind of pull-out quotes than the, than some of the than the earlier books, because every sentence isn't this. You know, uh, uh, like sleight of hand, magical thing. Not, you know, in my what I was trying for in the first book. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go and look at some lists of quotes that are pulled from that first book, I, I sort of wince because there are so many, and it just feels like there are too many. You know, and 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 they weren't all serving the story. So I think that's part of what I learned. I mean, I've learned a tremendous amount from the just from writing books but that's a that's a big one.
0: So like all good writers, you've learned to look back and wince at your previous work.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still I hate even saying that because the thing that happens to me when I write is that um my characters become utterly real mm-hmm. to me and feel like real people. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like I'm sort of I'm discovering them, not creating them. So my job is to learn who they are and to kind of very, very carefully excavate, you know, like with a paintbrush on a desert floor, like e- excavate um, their their stories and their personalities. And I become incredibly, um, even the mean ones and the and the and the you know the jerks. I love them. And so, for my first book, I feel bad saying anything bad about it, not because I wrote it, but because of the people mm-hmm. in it. I know how corny that I know it's no, it corny, doesn't. but I I I feel loyalty. It's it's kind of like you know relatives that you you see a lot of flaws in, but you you love them anyway, and you feel kind of bad saying that. Mm-hmm. But it is true. I do see flaws in the earlier books. I'm I mean, and and how could there not be? That's you course. know, I mean, I'm sure there are flaw there are flaws in in everything I write, like you know, including. Like grocery lists and emails, but I I feel like you know I try not to bring too critical an eye, and I I really haven't reread those old those earlier books in a long time. Um, interestingly, I have kind of have to go back and read them now because the book I'm working on now um, is a continuation of some of the characters in the first two oh, books. Oh, really?
0: You're going back um, to those?
1: Yeah, where I'm taking um, a couple of the young characters, Claire and Dev. Um, Claire would be a major character, and um, writing their story when they're older, like in their early 20s. So I, I really need to go back and read those books, but every time I pick them up, I, I like open it and, and just freeze up and <laughs> shut them and walk away and, and, and do laundry or something because... It's <laughs> it's weird. It's weird to go right. back. These these movie stars who say I never watch my own movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I'm sure at some point I just thought they were lying and that they seriously like would hole up in their house and watch, eat popcorn <laughs> and watch themselves over and over. But now I get it. Like I get why you wouldn't want to do that. Um, it's way too personal and and close. And you know I'm a little scared of what I'm going to find.
0: You mentioned that in writing your first obligation is to your characters and to their story. So some, something you get a lot of attention for in your books is the relationships that you create. Um, so what is it about relationships? I mean, in, in some sense, they should be important to every writer, but uh, what is it about relationships in your work that's interesting to you?
1: Well, you know, I mean, honestly, for me as a person, I think there's nothing more interesting in life as, as, as the way people interact with each other and the the complications of family most specifically but i also have found like in my third book the focus is really on friendship and that can be as intense as, as as family and it's just what fascinates me and i'm fascinated by a lot of things you know i'm fascinated by genetics and and neurology and you know a lot of stuff but the thing that interests me most is the things people say to each other in moments of crisis or the ways they come through unexpectedly um I have some jerks for sure in my books. And in this book, um, the precious one, uh, I find Wilson Cleary, the father, um, who's the father of, of both protagonists, um, hard to take. Uh, I, he's not, I, I wouldn't want him to be my father. And I think that he's done some real damage to his children. Um, but, at the same time, he's extremely interesting to me. And, um, and watching the way these two women have sort of, in some ways, built their lives around this person. In Willow's life, he is incredibly present, like way too present. He, he homeschools her until he has his surgery. He, he, he keeps her on a very short leash in this kind of lovely, walled-in world um, where he's trying to do everything right for her, the things that didn't go right for his first two kids. He's trying to fix it all with this relationship. Um, and the thing is that he really, I think he failed to love his first two kids, and it really, and it's damaged both of them in, in different ways. He also has a son. Tacey has a twin brother named Marcus. But I think he, he loves Willow I mean truly loves her everyone can see that but in some ways he does her just as much damage as he does any of them even though his intentions are good and and stuff like that just really interests me um, I, I but and I do also think that even Wilson has a core decency I mean I, I, I honestly think that most people do and I think most of my characters do, which doesn't mean they're going to soar and shine and be wonderful, but it means that there is a kind of hope built into my books when it comes to human relationships um, so that there's um uh, not necessarily happy endings where everyone gets what what he or she wants, but that there is a just a hopefulness, a kind of upswing um because I, I do think that most people aren't monsters. Even Wilson's not just really a monster. his
0: kids, sort of irreparably to the point where they're very, they're very interesting for us to read about.
1: Right, right. Well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> well, he did. Yeah. I mean, and and obviously he was a horrendous father the first time around. Like he d- and he didn't care, and his kids were not so much human beings to him as they were. Um, Reflections of him or reflections on him. So, their bad behavior, all he worried about is how it made him look. And, um, whereas I think Willow, he allows her humanity. I mean, I think he, he values her, um, as a real person, but the decisions he makes, um, in trying to protect her eventually make her in many ways vulnerable to, um, kind of negative forces in the outside world you know she doesn't she hasn't developed in the same way most kids develop um where they evolve because of their environmental pressure she's been in a greenhouse you Mm -hmm. know kind of raised in a greenhouse her whole life so he does her an, an incredible disservice even though he's trying really hard to be a good father
0: so there are a series of interesting relationships between these these characters and the precious one in a 2011 interview that you did, I saw you mentioned The Precious One. And at that point, you knew several of the main characters. You knew the title. I think I think Taisy's name came about after that interview, so it changed at some point. But I'm wondering what the process is like, you know, creating or finding these characters. And yet not, you didn't know what was going to happen to them at that point.
1: Yeah, you know... My first step is always to live with the characters for a long time. It, when people ask me how long it takes to write a book, it's it's a very difficult question for me to answer, and I, probably for a lot of writers it is, because I I don't um, I, I live with them. I ask I sort of ask questions of them and 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 put them in imaginary situations to figure out what they'll do or what they'll think. Um, I their histories evolve. Accumulate very slowly in my mind, um, for the most part separate from story. So I, I mean, I think I knew mm-hmm. pretty early on this was going to be about a second family and a first family and the, and the children involved, um, the offspring involved. And um, but that's that's not a, I, that's not a lot of information, but it was enough for me to to live with these characters mm-hmm. and and let. I I kind of feel like I can't write their story until I know them. And so once I know them, um, the plot kind of emerges from there. And this book evolved a little bit differently because um, I started it and I, I started thinking about it a long time ago and I started actually writing it and then at some point, I, it wasn't writer's block, and it wasn't that I didn't want to write that book. I knew that was the book I needed to write. <clears throat> but for the first time as a novelist um just a kind of staleness set in okay. where I wasn't in love with the process and i and I felt like I was forcing things and so what i what I did, which was really I'm not recommending, but it just kind of happened, was that I just wrote another book. Um, I mean, I was as I was tr- struggling with with the Precious One. Um, I started talking right. to my husband, and we just started playing around with this idea. Like, what if we wrote a book together? What kind of book would we want to write? What would it be? And we, and we ended up deciding because we had kids mm-hmm. who were in this age group that we would probably write a middle grade novel, which is kind of a middle school age book, and that we would. Wouldn't it be cool to have elements of historical fiction and wouldn't it be and we just started talking about it and then we thought, well, you know what, let's just write up a proposal and a couple chapters. And to our surprise but also delight, our agent, because we share an agent, um, sold it and we had a very tight deadline. <laughs> they wanted it really fast. So there wasn't really I kind of got on a roller coaster that was lovely, but then I kind of couldn't get off because I needed to write this book in six months. We needed to do this. And so I wrote this book. And then the wonderful thing about the process, even though it possibly delayed The Precious One, was that I felt invigorated and felt Mm -hmm. this new relationship or renewed relationship with the process and came back kind of full of energy and wrote Mm -hmm. probably the last 300 pages. I mean, not even the last, you know, the the bulk of the book I wrote after that experience. And I was, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't write fast. I I couldn't, I I was so involved in the process. It was the total opposite of how I'd been feeling. So it was kind of a shot in the arm.
0: That was very exciting. You sort of got two books to the price of one.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, And, and, and it changed my process as well because, um, and I think probably forever, that's my prediction. I mean, I've always been a little bit of, I've never been a complete fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants writer. I read about writers like that who just start with a sentence and see where it takes them. I've always needed to know, like, kind of, Four things about the plot and I needed to have, and I didn't need to know the ending and I almost never know the endings, but I needed to know, you know, have sort of a skeleton, just a really sketchy skeleton of the plot and um, but then on a daily basis I had no outline, I had no um, and when I wrote the book with my husband Saving Lucas Biggs we we wrote in alternating chapters So he wrote in one voice, the voice of a 13-year-old boy, and I wrote in the voice of a 13-year-old girl. But it was a really complicated plot that involved time travel and solving mysteries and all of this stuff. So we had to know, we had to have a really good idea up front of what that plot was going to be. So before we really started, I mean, we talked and talked endlessly and hashed it all out and made a lot of notes. And then we put together a chapter-by-chapter outline that was very detailed so that we could, and it felt like the only way we could do it. Um, and so then when I went, and, and, and granted, it changed. You know, like as we, it always has to change. As you, you're in the process and you're like, oh God, I'm supposed to do that, but there's no way I can do that now. We have to go back and change it. But at least we had a, a pretty detailed blueprint and then we veered from that um but it was something to veer from which i'd actually not had before so then when i went to finish and i had very little time to do it cuz i had a deadline of the precious one i i did the same thing i outlined every chapter from like the first four or something that i i had and detailed detailed outlines and it was it was like a revelation to me to write a book that way um it felt it felt felt so, like I could I could I felt so much more at ease with the process. Um, yeah, and I never thought I would become an outliner. and And now, for the new book that I'm working on, I'm doing it again. and And the thing is, I'm very open to changing it because I do believe the most important part of my job is to listen to my characters and to stay in tune with them. And if there's a day when I plan for them to do X and they insist on not doing that, I have to roll with it and I have to respect that. So it, it, it changed a lot in The Precious One. Things changed. Um, but I had that. Whereas when I wrote before, you know, the other books, it was kind of like every day when I came to write, the way I can best describe it, it's like you're standing on the ledge of your last sentence, the last sentence you wrote, and your foot's kind of dangling in space. And it's sort of like Looney Tunes. You just need to, to trust that the bridge is going to build and, and, and get you across the gap. But it's scary, you know, and, it, and it's, it's, it's also like, I don't know. It, it, I feel like this is better for me. And um, it, it just, it works better. I, can, I come to every day knowing what I'm, I'm going to try to get done that day. Whereas before I only sort of had a vague idea and kind of went for a page count but never had a task that I needed to complete because I didn't really know what was going to happen next.
0: I have so many questions about your family and how your family life interacts with your writing because you mentioned your husband's a writer. You've co-written that book. I'm sure he's he's pretty influential when it it comes to giving you advice. And then your kids, they've grown up alongside your, your writing career. So I guess I'll just put it all together. What is your family's role in your life as a writer?
1: Well, I, I think the the simple answer to that is that who I am in my family and who my family is to me on a very minute-by-minute, minute, day-to-day basis affects every single aspect of my writing. I wouldn't... And that feel, sounds very vague, but, um, you know, I... I write young characters. My kids... Uh, Neither of of whom is quite as old as Willow, but um mm-hmm. you know I've always had young characters in my books, Claire in the first book was eleven. um They may have been a little ahead of where my kids were, but my kids helped tremendously just because the minds of children and adolescents are so different from ours, and we kind of forget that because yeah. you know, I mean we just forget that they're they're Im- impulsive and they um are distractible and they attach meanings to things that make no sense to us. And they, you know, like there's a lot of that. And there's and and they're incredibly impressionable and vulnerable. But they're also, I don't know. There's there's, I don't. I I find it them so helpful. And being with them and listening to them talk, um, is is so important to everything I do. Um. My husband is uh, my first reader, and, and he has the not very fun job in a way of reading my books chapter by chapter, um, oh. where I write a chapter, I hand it to him, and he, he knows what I need. So he, I want to hear if I'm way off, and I want to hear if there's something that's confusing to him, or he's like, what? You know, what what happened to time here, or... Mm-hmm. um. How, how did we get from the living room to the elevator? You know, I, I don't understand this. Pro- you know, the, the things that you're so close to when you're writing that you don't see. I rely on him for that. Um, but he doesn't really read with a red pencil, like fix this, fix this, because he knows that's not what I need at that point. Um, I need a little cheerleading, but mm-hmm. I also need for him to point out the big picture kinds of things that I'm too engrossed in, the details to see so he does that for me and it's a very disjointed way to write a book because sometimes it's over several years <laughs> um and and he knows it's going to change too but um that i i it's very hard in some ways to imagine writing a book without him because he is just my first reader and any writer who ha- knows that your, your your first most trusted reader is like you know, in, in, invaluable. So he does that for me. And then he'll read it again, you know, when it's done. And then after I work with my editor, then he reads it again.
0: Then he gets out his red pencil.
1: Well, he does at some point get out his red pencil. <laughs> but it's when I'm ready to be red penciled. And and, and he, he knows me really well. So he kind of knows when that is, is happening. And um but, you know, like, the the other thing that you do when you write, when you have a family, is that you, you figure out how, it, it forces you to figure out how to be, or what it's forced me to do, how to be fully present no matter what you're doing. So when I'm with my kids, even though I know, and I can't exactly describe the process, but I know that being with them, watching their swim meets and at field hockey games and take driving them places, and talking to them and feeding them and all of that um, feeds who I am as a writer. Everything feeds everything else. My writing feeds Mm -hmm. who I am as a parent. But when I'm with them or when I'm at my desk, what I try really hard to do is just say, okay, don't sit here and think of what you're missing out on or what you could be doing. Don't be half listening to your kids or to your book. Um, try to really, really be in the moment. And that's hard. I mean, that's, that's hard, but I, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to kind of come to the end of all of this and think, you know, I just, I sat through all those swim meets and I wasn't really paying attention when my children like spend their souls on this sport, you know, like <laughs> I need to be there. Yeah. So, um, I'm always kind of pulling myself back from the edge of like, um, okay, I'm just going to zone out here for a while or especially in the summer, you know, when they're downstairs or they're outside in the yard or whatever, I I I feel their presence, I hear their voices, I'm sitting up here at my desk, I need to in some ways just say, okay, look, I, I, I need to be all in right now and then I can be with them later. Um, and it's been very good for me as a person to learn how to do that, I think, just to, to be fully in a moment. I think has helped me in all kinds of ways.
0: Being present seems so. like a good I mean, I quality it's, it's, in it's, a parent and in a writer.
1: It's not necessary. I mean, like you know, there are plenty of parents who can kind of divide their brains or have their lap, laptops out, and I'm not <laughs> criticizing them. But what I know is that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be happy, and if if I weren't happy, I'm not going to be a good writer or a good parent. You know, if if I'm sort of feeling divided all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's sort of like, sorry yourself, we're going to a three day swim meet this weekend, their district championship meet. And I'm just not bringing my computer. You know, I just, I, I if I bring my computer, it will be so hard not to just, mm, let's just, i have 30 minutes you know, like, I, I want to be kind of all in.
0: It sounds like you've got it pretty down, I would say. <laughs>
1: I don't want to damage them for life. Like that's right, my right. whole goal is a parent. You don't want to end
0: up you don't want to end up writing about them, right? Because that means you did something wrong.
1: Right? Or Have them <laughs> writing about me? Like, oh my god, my oh, childhood. My. <laughs> so, you know, I I want. I feel like my my goal has shifted from let's be the you know the the, the most subtly thoughtful parent in the world to like just don't <laughs> screw them up for life because that. That would really stink yeah, for everyone. Right, nobody wins. Know? Right, nobody wins.
0: Uh, Marisa de los Santos, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on Craft.
1: Oh, it's been such a pleasure talking with
0: you. All right, well, we'll see you at Thurber House then, all right?
1: All right, thank you. Bye.
0: Again, Marisa de los Santos's book is The Precious One, and she visits Thurber House on Wednesday, April 1st. For more information from our guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Tyler Clementi. Until next time, be creative.